Hi everyone, welcome to the Epic Vision Zone. My name is Jane Applegath, a former award-winning stockbroker, television producer, scriptwriter, yoga instructor, serial entrepreneur, and now founder of the Epic Vision Zone. Each show, we offer you an inspiring person or message to bring you closer to your big dream by showing you how to enter the portal to your new epic reality that place where possibilities, prosperity, and potential reign so that you can hit the go button on your epic life. A big thank you for being here today. Harriet Tubman wrote, every great dream begins with a dreamer. Always remember you have within you the strength, the patience, and the passion to reach for the stars to change the world. Teresa DeGrobra is the number one international best-selling author of Mass Influence, The Habits of the Highly Influential, which has been a bestseller in seven countries for several years. The book is an innovative exploration into the key elements for influencing change by creating vital wildfire word-of-mouth epidemics. As the founder and chair of the Evolutionary Business Council, Teresa leads an international invitation-only council of speakers and influencers who work to create worldwide grassroots changes in communities and businesses. Dedicated to the principles of success, the EBC is a groundbreaking community of change makers, thought leaders, and influencers committed to making positive global change by leading new advances in business, influence, transformation, and wellness. Teresa believes we can shift the thinking of society by understanding how to balance the forces of money and influence to create more impact in the world. Teresa, thank you so much for being here today and welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Jane. It's really great to be here. Well, we are so excited to dive into this topic. I, I want to begin with your journey. So you began your career in the oil and gas industry and became known as the influencer. Tell us about that journey and how it played a vital part in your life's work today. Yeah, well, I think like a lot of people, we hit a point in our careers where we really start to question, is this really all there is, you know? And, um, you know, I hit that point in, in my mid thirties, uh, up until that point, I'd had a wildly successful career. I was, you know, a leader in the oil and gas industry. I had a beautiful seven figure income, nice house, <laughs> you know, the dog, two kids. And then I had what I affectionately refer to as my really bad year. And I can smile and laugh about it now because I now know it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. But at the time, all I could think of was how much pain I was in. You know, my father had died. My business had fallen apart. My um, marriage had ended at the time and my health was in an utter tailspin. And I would wake up in the morning just wondering how I was going to get through the day. It was literally that bad. And I remember there was one night that was particularly poignant. I was, I was sitting in the bathroom of my latest renovation project. I was always a renovator, you know, and I, so I'm looking at all the tools around the bathroom and thinking it's me that needs renovating. It's me. And it was such a profound moment because it was the moment I realized 
I was looking back over the last 20 years of my life and I couldn't actually point to a time where I had really been tuned in, turned on happy, you know? And so it was one of the best things that could have happened to me because it was the point at which I made the decision that I would be my next, next renovation project. And I started doing every self-help course I could get my hands on. Um, I started doing a lot more yoga, getting a lot more committed to my health. And within a few years of that time, you wouldn't have even have recognized me. I was living an utterly different life just from leaning into a different lifestyle and a different way of making choices. Isn't that interesting that you had the intuition and the insight to look at the renovation that you were doing and suddenly realize that it was you who needed the renovating. That is such an aha. I mean, that, that was the universe. That, that was the, the universe smacking you around, I guess you could say. But that, that was, like you said, it just hit you. You're looking at all the tools and all of the mess that's there. And you probably thought, well, this is my life right now. And what am I going to do about it? That incredible story. And it's such a shame that I know often we have to go to that bottom to get back mm -hmm. up on top and be better um and and you know often that's the universe too giving us a very hard lesson but still here you are today and like you said it was the best thing that ever happened to you when we had our earlier discussion you mentioned that there was a holy disquiet during your career in the oil and gas industry I love that expression. Give us an idea what you mean by that and how it propelled you to take a new path because I know that there are a lot of women who are probably in that position right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I love that expression too. I didn't invent it and I can't remember who originally said it. But, um, you know, as I started leaning in and doing a lot more yoga and meditation and, and really diving into my self-work, I started realizing that my job and my life weren't filling me up, you know. And one of the things I read at the time that really stuck with me is I started reading some of Aristotle's teachings. I don't even know how I ran into it, but somebody gave me a synopsis of some of his work. And he talks about the whole notion of there's different types of happiness. There's hedonistic happiness, which is not inappropriate, but it's fleeting right? Like, so hedonistic happiness is like the joy we get from that really great latte in the morning or how mm -hmm. awesome it feels to um, buy that really nice new dress, right? But as soon as the dress is gone, the happiness is gone, right? And then he also talked about eudaimonia, which I had never heard the term before, but it was basically the principle that there's a different kind of happiness we get when we know we are deeply of service to our family, our community, or the world at large. And that's the kind of happiness that just sticks in your bones and it doesn't go away when the incident or the thing that's right in front of you is gone. It's like the lasting turned in, turned on joyful happiness that you just meet some people who just have. Right. And when I read that, I thought, Oh, I know so many people who are, you know, running charities or just really doing their life's mission. And that epitomizes them. They're just in, in general, happy people. They're happy. Does, happiness doesn't come and go. And so that really had me start thinking about, well, what would that look like? You know, and I remember I had a group of friends at the time. I kept saying, I really got to quit my job and go do something different, you know, and um, and, they, you know, this really speaks to who you pick for your friends, making a big difference in your life. 
because a lot of my friends were coaches or speakers and they would say, so when are you going to do that, Teresa? And, and I was just like, whoa, you're supposed to coach me back into my comfort zone. You know, that's just to push me out there to live an outrageous, courageous life. But them continually saying that to me actually gave me the courage to take the leap. And, um, you know, I asked for a leave of absence from my job because I didn't have the courage to quit. Um, but two years later, when the leave of absence ended, I knew I was in the right place and handed in my resignation. Hmm. That's fantastic. I love that. So there was a holy disquiet and then you found your outrageous, courageous self by making space to hear it because that's really what happens, right? The static, we get caught up in the day to day and the, and you know, our high powered jobs. And of course we've got all that busyness going on and, but there's no space to tune into who we are and ourselves. So that was interesting that you said when you started doing the yoga and, you know, you started coming more into your, your, your own energy, your own power, but that was a fascinating story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now in our earlier discussion too, this is a very interesting topic because I know everyone's going to want to know the secret to this, getting past the gatekeepers. Okay, you were known in the industry for getting past the gatekeepers. Share with us how you managed to do that, because I know I would like to know, and probably many (laughs) others. Well, and it's a lot simpler than most people realize, you know, but we have to understand that we learned a certain set of rules. We started in the sandbox back in kindergarten, right? We learned, I do this for you and you do that for me. There's kind of a transactional tit for tat in relationship building. And then we come up in industry and, you know, we learn it's a good idea if we want to make a relationship with a colleague to offer to buy them coffee or lunch. And then you only have to phone up a Fortune 500 CEO and offer to buy them a coffee. And faster than you can say gatekeeper, you start to realize, wait a second, there's a different set of etiquette that applies to the highly influential. And so somewhere between sort of the referral networking that we do in business all the way over here to how do I get engaged with the highly influential in in the industry or in the world at large, it's like the sport changed. It's like over here was basketball and over here is hockey and nobody got me related to the different sport. So one of the reasons I wrote my book was that I wanted, you know, especially the good people, the everyday change agents that are just out there to cause good in the world. I wanted them to understand that becoming influential is not as hard as you might think. You just need to start to understand how the influential operate, what are the habits that they operate under, and and what are the do's and don'ts of interacting with them. So just out of curiosity, then, let's say you were to ask uh, the highly influential, would do you approach them with a coffee or an invitation or do you do it some other way? Like, I'm, I'm really you curious now. Way. Yeah. So, um, so that, that's a great, great question. Right. And so let me give you an analogy, right? Um, a lot of people would do what I would actually call the premature, you know, everybody that turn they're like the premature, what, but, uh, the premature ask is like, when you move into the new house and the neighbor next door comes and says, wow, what an awesome stereo you were just carrying up the walk. I can't wait to borrow that. Right. And we're immediately going, who did I move in (laughs) next door to? Right. And, and you see this at networking events all the time, right? 
you go to a networking event and the most influential people in the room are always the host of the event and the guest speaker on stage. They're usually typically the most influential people in the room. And you'll often see the guest speaker come off stage and there'll be a lineup of people there waiting to say hi to them. And the majority of them want to offer to buy them lunch or a coffee or offer them some kind of product sample, a book, a CD, um, you know, a sample of their product. And that's a lot like going to the new neighbor that you just met and saying, you're gonna so enjoy meeting my kids, you're really gonna love babysitting them, right? Your book or your product sample is all about you. Your request for a coffee, to use an extreme example, that's like asking Oprah Winfrey an hour of her time for a $7 latte. There isn't a reciprocity there. The coffee is way more about you than it is about them if they're an influencer, right? So that's simply not the way you approach an influencer. You don't, because all of those, what are offers in the one world, like over here in basketball, that was an appropriate thing to do, right? But when we come over here into the land of hockey, now inappropriate, and it's because influencers value their time differently. They've got a lot of demands on their time. So you want to approach an influencer, you go in with an offer of get this, influence. So how do you give an influencer influence? You offer to inter interview them on your podcast if you've got a podcast, right? Um, you offer to connect them with other people who would be great connections. Offer them a speaking opportunity. Offer to shout them out on your social media or write about them or nominate them for an award. Anything that puts the attention back on them. That's why you have social media or have a podcast, etc. It's not about promoting you. It's about, that's like the apple pie you take to the new neighbor when you want to get in relationship with other influential people. Perfect. Oh my gosh, what a light bulb. Oh my, that is fantastic. And you're absolutely right. You know, we all want to talk about ourselves, but when you're speaking to an influencer, like it, that was an interesting analogy that you said it would be like asking Oprah Winfrey for an hour of her time and buying her a $7 latte. It's like when you put it in that perspective, wow, does that ever change everything? Oh my gosh, that was fabulous. Thank you so much for that insight. So I want to delve into the Evolutionary Business Council. You are the founder of this Evolutionary Business Council. Give us an idea of what the EBC is and what is your vision for the work that you're doing here? Well, the EBC was kind of a grand experiment, right? Like we asked the question, what if we bring together all of the changes that we really want to build a more conscious world and teach them how to become more influential and more profitable and more impactful? Huh, what could we create, right? And um, it very quickly blossomed into something so much bigger than what we ever envisioned. In fact, the members themselves started saying, let's create a really big goal, right? So we created a goal of what if the EBC could bring transformational principles, and by that we mean success principles, like getting people to think about not trusting everything they think, getting people to confront their inner dialogue. If we could bring those principles out to 1.2 billion people, that would actually be 15% of the global population. Well, guess what? That's a tipping point number. In communication theory, we know that if you can achieve 15% of any population, the rest will eventually follow, right? So we decided to create this big, hairy, audacious goal, as they say, and decided we create tipping point energy of a more conscientable world, just by getting teachings of consciousness and sustainability 
out to that many people. So the goal we stand in, our uh, means of doing it is 100 emerging change agent leaders help them each reach a million. And actually about a third of our membership is well over the million mark, but then we have people in our membership all the way down to only have followings of five or 6,000, but want to learn how it works. And our membership all just really helps each other. It's, it's um, we encourage to become really good friends and often the more senior members really invest in and really help the ones that are more up and coming. Wow, that's amazing. I love that you say that your goal is to uh, touch 1.2 billion lives and that becomes the tipping point. You call that the communication theory? Is that what that is? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, and so you probably heard of early adopters and innovators. And when you reach those two groups, that's about 15% of a population. And that's considered the tipping point. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a great book this theory, if you want to go look it up, it's actually called the tipping point. Wow, that is fantastic. And that that is quite a, a very grand goal. But I love that you're putting yourselves up there and, and going for it, because that that is, like you said, what will make the difference. And I in speaking with you earlier, I know that's where you want to go with the EBC is make that shift. And that's the way that we'll we'll yeah. start changing things. So the three pillars of creating change, speaking of change, let's talk about those and what they are and why we should care. Yeah. So, and we talk about this a lot in the Evolutionary Business Council. We consider the three pillars influence, profit, and impact. And in fact, when you master influence and profit, impact naturally follows, right? And originally when we created the EBC, we were all just about influence. Like, like, let's just help people reach more people and influence more people. And then we realized a lot of our members were kind of going into crisis because they didn't have the money to buy groceries. Like they might be able to get out to a half a million people, but they didn't know how to actually monetize it. And when we really started looking at it and really looking at what causes transformation in the world, you know, what causes people to actually change their lives, let me say it that way. It's the point at which people take action that their lives change, right? Like insight alone will never change someone's lives. Otherwise, there'd be no obesity on this planet, right? You know, everyone knows what it takes to, to not be obese in general. I mean, there's a few medical conditions that are exceptions, but you eat less and exercise more. And that insight exists globally, and yet there's still obesity, right? So it's the point at which that people take action that their lives change. And guess what? sales and profit are actually a really good measure of whether or not you're getting people to take action with whatever you teach or whatever you stand for. And so if you don't have any profit, you're probably just living in the land of giving people insight and you're not actually creating any real change in people's lives. And so we realized, okay, we got to start talking about this because there's a lot of people working on a false premise that to really change the world, you have to live like a monk. You have to have, you know, what you might call poverty consciousness. And you have to do everything into change and deny yourself and give everything to everyone else. And in fact, that's actually role modeling what we don't want for the rest of the world, right? What we want for the whole planet is prosperous abundance thinking where we're all free, not only from the limitations of injustice, but the limitations we impose on ourselves through all the garbage we think in our thoughts, right? So when we look at it that way, we realized we really had to stand for 
our members becoming exquisite and masterful at influence and masterful at understanding how profit impacts businesses that impact the world. And when they end up with those two tools in their toolkit, impact just naturally follows where they're causing people to change their lives and change is happening as a result of their work. Wow. That, so in that case, then, um, how do we get influence? Like we, we need the action, but I believe the influence would come first. And then how do we get that so that we do move into action? Yeah, I love that. Influence is just, do people know, like, and trust you enough to take action based on what you recommend, right? And so mass influence is just, do a lot of people know, like, and trust you enough to take action based on what you recommend, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you look at what creates a word of mouth epidemic, it's just 200 really influential people all talking about your work all at the same time. That's all a word of mouth epidemic is, right? And, and so that begs the question, well, how do I get in a relationship with 200 influential people so that they would know my work and be willing to talk about it? Hence the EBC, right? Because we thought, well, if we create a community where it's a safe space for leaders to come in and, and do their own work and look at their own self-limitations and become the kind of community where you could just really become friends with other influencers and really deeply invest in each other's success, then we've got the means of you know, snap your fingers and you've got a word of mouth epidemic. Isn't that interesting? And in fact, we find the EBC kind of takes on a life of its own because we've had members where they put up the pre-sale page for their book about to launch their book. And the book will hit a number one international bestseller status within a few hours of that because someone in the membership found out and spread the word amongst the other members. And it's like the gift they give each other. It's almost become like a fun little game that some of the more active members do for each other. And uh, it's really cool to watch. Like I'll often get a phone call and people will be like, Teresa, I'm looking at the numbers and I don't understand what I'm seeing. I'm like, what you're seeing is you've hit number one. <laughs> like, Go buy a bottle of champagne. This is time to celebrate. You know, and a lot of people can't even believe it when they see it. And yet it's such a cool thing that our members do for each other, because when you have a, an army of influencers at your back, creating change becomes a lot easier. I love that. Oh my gosh. An army of influencers that have your back. That is so yeah. powerful. That's what the EBC is, is an army of influencers who have your back. You put it in those words and it's like, wow, that sounds really interesting. I've got to delve in or at least take a look. That, that, I yeah. love that story. And now I'm starting to understand what your word of mouth epidemic means, which I uh, will get in. I mean, uh, I know that that's a question that I have later on, but that makes all the sense in the world. That, that just fascinates me. I'm, I get excited thinking of it. And, and so the second pillar that you said was profit and you touched on that. that you said a lot of us in the transformational industry believe in the power of thought and manifestation. So it would seem counterintuitive to focus on the money and the profit. And we had a little a discussion about this earlier on. And this is a sticking point for a lot of entrepreneurs and coaches. So how do we put this together that the money is a tool and that we use it's how we use that and it equals its value. Explain that a little yes. bit more because this became something that was really at the center of what was happening in your industry. 
Yeah, well, and you know what a lot of people need to understand if they're creating a movement, they're often are creating a business, you know, Mother Teresa was one of the most successful business owners on this planet. She raised hundreds of millions of dollars for her not for profit business. She was an extremely astute businesswoman. She was excellent at marketing and understanding how influence works. She was the epitome of using the pillars effectively. And she brought in hundreds of millions of dollars in profit, right? Ooh, how dare you say that about Mother Teresa, right? And there are people who are, like, they're really stunned that I would say that. And yet the woman deserves to be acknowledged for the brilliance that she brought here in her lifetime, right? She understood money. In fact, one of her most famous quotes is, all money is washed clean in the service of God. You know, so it's like, and I think that was her way of saying, money is neither good nor bad. Money is simply a tool. And you can put money to good uses, or you can put it to nefarious uses. You know, you can use it for greed or avarice or whatever. And it's all in your choice and how you use that tool. So it's important to look at your relationship to money and how you put money toward your cause. I actually think some of the most um, impressive forces for change to, in this day and age are not not-for-profit businesses because we have so many restrictions around not-for-profits that we almost choke them to death. You know, like we squeeze all the prosperity out of them and turn them into beggars and then expect them to be able to do good in the world. Um, some of the most effective organizations, I think, are philanthropic organizations like the Evolutionary Business Council, but that are actually for-profit businesses that just run transparently. You know, because then they're not confined by all these rules that we put on the not-for-profit sector. I love Tom Shoes. Like, they're a great example, right? Mm -hmm. Buy a pair of shoes off Tom Shoes. We give a pair to someone in a developing country. Their messaging on what they stand for in the world is super clear. And they're a highly profitable business as a result. And they could not do what they do if they weren't a highly profitable business, right? So how can you criticize them for that? In fact... We want to role model prosperity for developing countries. We just want to also bring them into the prosperity fold, not deny our own prosperity. That doesn't help anyone. No, absolutely. And you're correct. I mean, money has a means. And when you put it to work, that's, yeah. that's the, the key right there, right? Because it can also yeah. be um, used in a negative way, but your profit is not a bad thing. And that's the thing that um, a lot of, uh, you know, like you said, coaches or transformational industry, they don't say that it's necessarily a bad thing, but the focus isn't on that. It's just that it all comes together. And then you can say you can do so much more because without the money, you can't, there is, there is no, no means to help whatever it is your causes because everything yeah, functions on and that. In fact, not not dealing with your own money issues because you know we've often heard the term social proof right like social proof is is there evidence around you that people listen to you and social proof really helps people get out of their own way and allow enable you to actually cause some shift in their life right because now they're more willing to listen to you but there's also a concept we talk about in the ebc and this isn't widely talked talked about but we call it monetary proof right mm -hmm. and that is you know, when we see someone and they're driving a Lamborghini or, you know, they have the evidence, the really nice suit or whatever, or we just know that they run a highly successful business. Like one of my business partners, Susie Carter, is legendary because she's taken 
dozens of companies to the seven figure mark. She's got monetary proof around her, you know, coming out the yin yang, right? She it seeps out her pores. And the interesting thing about social proof and monetary proof is they're the things that help the people you would help get out of their own way and listen to you. Because mm-hmm. you could be saying all kinds of wonderful things, coaching them absolutely brilliantly, but their own negative self-talk is going to start flaring up and they're saying, well, who are you anyway? You don't, you don't make enough money to coach me. Who are you anyway? Only a half a dozen people think you're smart. There's no social proof. There's no monetary proof around you. I'm going to use that as my excuse to not take on the coaching. Now, when you look at it that way, social proof and monetary proof, standing in your own abundance, standing in your own success is actually a gift you give other people that allows you to help them. Huh? Like there's a paradigm shift, right? And so if you're undercharging for your services, if you're, um, you know, standing in this kind of poverty consciousness, um, you're just making it easy for the people you would help to dismiss everything you say is unimportant. And it actually makes it a lot harder for you to help people. Yes, absolutely. I could see that because it's like this too can be yours if you, if you take some action. I, I, I love that monetary yeah. proof. And I just thought of the word currency, which is very interesting because it suggests that it has energy behind it, that it's current. Yeah. Uh, and yes. that's something that, um, you know, we, we all, there, there's positive and negative, but thank you for that. That is so powerful and certainly something that we all need to take a look at, not as a negative, but as a positive, a social proof and monetary proof. So you did yeah. mention the power of impact. Um, the three pillars, impact is one of them. When do you know that you've really had an impact on people's lives? Yeah, when their life changes. Right. So, you know, you can coach someone till the cows come home, but if they actually don't make the choice to do something different in their life, then no impact has been had. Right. And ironically, one of the best measures of of whether you're having impact is whether or not whoever you're working with is buying more of your products. Because, and I'm not saying that is the only impact. I'm simply saying, the purchase of additional programs, the purchase of additional products, like they're coming back to you for more is an indication that they're in action and that you're having impact on their lives, that things are changing. Because if if they weren't consuming what, what you had already taught them, if they weren't in action changing things, they wouldn't be wanting anymore, right? They wouldn't need anymore. They've already got the first thing you sold them. They've never used it. Why would I go and buy anymore, right? So interestingly, if you don't have sales, it's probably the mobilization part, the getting people to take action that's missing in your business. It's why it's actually one of the biggest things we talk about in the EBC is what does it really take to help get people beyond insight and into action and actually shifting their lives and shifting their thinking. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I love that three pillars. So they're so very important and vital. And to combine all of them is something that is necessary because one without the other, it's almost like a puzzle piece that's missing. Uh, because yes. you know, there there's there's you know the the you've got the influence, you've got the monetary, and then you've got the impact. And uh, we, I wanted to move on to thought leadership. 
Um, and thank you for that. You are, you're described as someone who teaches thought leaders and emerging thought leaders to have great impact on the world. And thought leadership sounds so big and grandiose to a lot of people, but what does it really mean at a grassroots level? Well, if you're someone that's teaching new principles and new ways of thinking, new ways of being, even if you've just developed a better product and so you're trying to push out new thinking to have people um, use your better product, then you're in the realm of thought leadership, right? And it does sound grandiose. Are you stands for creating change and and positive change in the world, like a better way of doing things, a better way of living, uh, you know, a better attainment of health, a better um, conquering of our own self-limiting beliefs and you know garbage that we do to ourselves you know then there's loads of research that now show that the human condition is we develop a lot of self-limiting beliefs usually at the very earliest ages when we're first learning to speak right so i think it's really important to just look at the realm of okay if you're pushing out something new you're emerging into thought leadership and and so you have to look at what's involved in that and what do i you know what do i need to do and Maybe you need a safe space to be able to talk about that, which is why we created the UBC as a safe space for leaders to come and talk about how challenging it can be to be a leader at times and to do our own work uh, for all the stuff we bump up against when we think about really pushing the envelope and playing bigger in the world. Mm. I love that. That's so, um, it's it's challenging. So this, this a saying popped into my mind where there is no challenge, there is, there won't be any change. Yeah. And so, I love that. You know, discomfort yeah. is the doorway to breakthrough. Right. And right. so you've got to be willing to put people outside of their comfort zones and push them into change, which is uncomfortable. Change is really uncomfortable. Right. And so it's important as leaders that we are not worried about always being nice and never having anyone ever feel uncomfortable or bad because when we keep everyone comfortable and in their comfort zone, there's no opportunity for growth there. Exactly. It's like a seed pushing up through the earth. It has to break mm. through that, that top layer in order to come to life. And, and that's yeah. difficult. That's a challenge, but that's how we all are. But you're absolutely right. Because once that's that you hit that surface, you just sprout up and you just think, wow, this is evolutionary, revolutionary. I mean, that's, I love yeah. that, that the idea that thought leadership is challenging change, challenging us to change in order to grow. Yeah. I, I could see that. Thank you for that, that, that insight. So your book, Mass Influence, I love the title, by the way, absolutely um, have to get a copy and, and read through it. So it became a number one international bestseller and give us some insight into what people can expect from reading the book and what it means by influencing change creating, well, you mentioned that wildfire word of mouth epidemics. Is there some mm -hmm. something in the book that, that hits on that as well? Well, you know, one of the reasons I wrote Mass Influence was I just wanted the everyday change agents of the world, the everyday heroes that just want to create something good in their communities and their, in their businesses, uh, in the world at large, that I wanted them to understand that, you know, becoming influential is not only easy, 
it's actually also important, right? Because mm -hmm. one of the greatest ironies in life is our own dreams, especially the dreams of really doing something that makes a difference in the world. Those dreams are scarier to us than they are to anyone else because they're your dreams, right? Like, oh, that's terrifying. Like, who am I to do this really big thing that I dream of? And the reality is, if that is your dream, there will be no one out there better to do it. Because if you're really passionate about it, no one's going to be more committed. Nobody's going to be more engaging or charismatic around it because it's your passion and it's your dream, right? So there's the great irony in life. Like so many of us shy away from the, the, the thing in our heart that we most wish we could change in the world. And I wrote this book because I wanted people to just lean in and realize you know what, if you if you lean into what you're passionate about and what you would love to change in the world, it's really not nearly as hard as you think it might be. Okay, we're all going to get a copy of that book and forge forward. Uh, it's you're right. It's because it's personal that makes it scary. If it wasn't, per it's like we can always uh, I often I'm a cheerleader for others, you know, and, and I love promoting others and other products. If I like something, I'll tell all my friends and family, oh, you have to buy this. It's the most fabulous thing that I've ever discovered. But when it's personal, you're thinking, oh my gosh, what if it fails? Um, or yeah. this is really going to hurt if, if I don't make this come true. So those are all the what ifs. Um, and therein lies the fear of failure. But again, if we don't challenge ourselves, uh, no one's going to know. And, and what is a greater, I guess, not even fear, but a, a, a greater disservice to humankind? Like you said, if nobody takes action, if nobody's buying your product, it's your responsibility to bring that forward. And oh my gosh, I love that. That's so insightful. Yeah. So give us an idea. What excites you about the future? What right now in your life excites you about the future? I actually think we're living in an age that history will look back on as one of the most significant evolutions of humanity. And that is that we're living in the age where human beings are now waking up and realizing we are not our thoughts. Right. And when you think about it, there's nothing more significant to the potential of humanity to start to become aware that we have belief systems we create, usually when we're first learning language, right? Like at the age of two, that limit us in life. And what's possible if we start realizing we don't need those limits anymore. We don't need to keep um, walking around in our own fear. What's possible if we as a human species start to wake up and ask what's possible? <gasps> what is possible? And if we could really do it, and I think what it comes down to is it's somebody else's job is something that a lot of human beings get stuck in, right? Oh, it, sh it shouldn't be me to create change. It shouldn't be me to do something. So who am I? And, you know, as, as Nelson Mandela so aptly put, who are you not, right? So if you really feel you should be doing something bigger, then it is you. And, you know, I always love that Harry Potter scene where, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big Harry Potter fan, but there's a scene where Harry and Hermione are, are fighting a bunch of dementors. And, um, and because they're in a time loop, 
Harry is seeing a, a, a later version of himself across the lake, and he's wondering if it's his father come to rescue them, right? And, and Hermione keeps shouting at him, Harry, there's no one coming to save us. It's us. We've got to do it, right? And I think it's one of the most transformational moments of the series because it's like humanity is starting to wake up and realize individually, I don't mean as a collective group, but each of us as a person is starting to realize there's no one else coming to save us. It's us. And I can't afford to anymore sit around and wait for someone else to do what's the longing in my heart. I've got to get out and actually be the one who creates the change. Not to use the cliche, but I love the Gandhi quote of be the change you want to see in the world. It was really a call to leadership, right? A call to step up and step into your own dreams. And I think that's what humanity is waking up to that realization en masse. And um, so the EBC is kind of like this fun little community where people dance in the, hey, what if we regular people from all over the world can create the possibility? You know, I love that Margaret Mead quote, never underestimate what a few dedicated concerned citizens can do to change the world for indeed that's all that ever has, right? And I think that's one of the most powerful quotes out there. Yes. Oh, that just gave me chills. I agree. It's you're right. No one's coming to save you. But in order to lead, we have to first lead ourselves. And exactly. that's what we miss. You know, that, that mm -hmm. you, like you said, the thought leadership or a creative leadership, whatever it is. But if we don't lead ourselves first, lead our lives, keep living in the mm -hmm. past and not, you know, making room for the future or what could be then you're right. No one's coming to save us. We have to save ourselves. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's perfect. I love it. And it is a very exciting time. I mean, I know there's so much going on and we can all focus on the negative, but if you do, then you can just grind yourself to a halt. And what good is that yes. going to do anyone, including yourself, right? Because yes. often, you know, yeah. if, if you get inundated with all of that negativity, you absolutely uh, stand still. You're like, okay, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't, I've got, there's a pandemic. There's going, there's inflation. There's, you know, uh, wars. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But look at everything that's happening. You've got the EBC and every, every time I interview someone, there's something new and exciting happening in the world and things are shifting. So thank you for yeah. that. That is a wonderful view of the future and what's to come. So any last words, Teresa, that you'd like to share with our audience today? You know, I would just say, give yourself permission to take action on your dreams, you know, because until you do, you're just dreaming, you know, and um, if you need support, come do the 30 day influence challenge at massinfluencethebook.com. Um, it's just a quick little exercises that I created to help you flex your muscle and learn how influence and creating change works. They're just little two minute exercises you do every day um, and come play. You know, life is so juicy on the other side of just leaning in to your own desire to make a difference in the world. Life is just so fun and so juicy. It might be messy, but it's good messy. Oh, I love that. That is the one thing that we forget as adults is to play. Because when we yes. put ourselves in that state of mind, everything opens up. I mean, seriously, we get so rooted in our, in everything being 
you know, just so and uh, the shoulds that we, we need to be doing or the, the course that someone has laid out for us. And when we let go and start to play, oh my gosh, that's when the miracles start happening. You know, we just start connecting with those that we're supposed to connect with. We just start finding those surprises that we're supposed to find and discovering who we really are. I always love it when yeah. I see an adult playing with a child because it's like they've found their inner child again. So it's always yeah. there. It's just that we hold ourselves back. You know, I, I, I just have to share this with you. There was a, uh, something on, on social media, a friend of mine, and she was having a glass of wine and she sat on this, this, this thing that vibrates. And of course the, the challenge was to try and drink your wine while it was vibrating, killing <laughs> myself laughing, but she was just having so much fun. And I thought that's what life's all about. You know, it's, it wasn't an expensive trip anywhere. It wasn't, you know, it's just that she was having a blast doing playing, basically playing. Yeah. But anyway, so I have one last question for you, Teresa, if your life were an epic story, and let's say that your life is an epic story, what would the title be? Oh, I love that question. I think it would be, she lived. Mm. Beautiful. Or maybe just live. <laughs> you know, because so yeah. many of us forget to. You know, I can see. Yeah. See, there's there's the play that I introduce in my teachings. Mm -hmm. I I take mm -hmm. people out of their reality because we get too rooted in what we're doing. So mm -hmm. I have people imagine if their life were an wow. epic story, and therefore then Beautiful. they can play because they're a hero in their epic story. It's not rooted in reality, yeah. but that's where we all can live, right? In the future. You know, all change starts with someone's thoughts, you know, exactly. like until we think it and create the possibility of it, nothing it's, ever happens. So so beautiful to have play that in, encourages people to think about what's possible. Exactly. I love it. I absolutely. Thank you again, Teresa, for joining us here today. Be sure to check out Teresa's website at Teresa de Grosbois and the Evolutionary Business Council at ebcouncil.com. EBC, but you will find all of this contact information and more on the Epic Vision Zone bio pages. So be sure to join us there and check out me on Instagram. And don't forget to reach out to me at janeapplegath.com where you can gain access to your free download, The Keys to Your Dreams. And I look forward to connecting with you in the future. This is the Epic Vision Zone transforming your dreams into epic success.